It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Coming up later, I want to talk about how you can automate getting a better deal after you've already spent your money. That sounds like a weird riddle, doesn't it? But I'll fill you in later. And our web address, Clark.com. Speaking of getting deals all the time, ClarkDeals.com is where we work around the clock right now to find you the best deals, our deal diggers, looking for every nook and cranny online and in traditional stores to find you the bargains. So there's a headline that has infested the internet that is one that is causes a lot of anxiety in people. The headline says that in the next 12 years, 12 years, 73 million U.S. jobs will be destroyed by automation. Headline writers have written this all different ways, but the idea that 73 million jobs, that would be, is that one in three jobs in the United States, I guess, would be destroyed by automation over the next 12 years. And so it feeds into people's anxiety about robotics and automation and all that. I, you know, I hear the things people say about, you know, with the self-driving trucks that are going to be available in the next couple of years, what are all the truck drivers going to do? Well, the turnover in truck driving is over 50% a year because a lot of people just hate doing it. But there are always going to be people that are going to be needed for certain situations with trucks. But the nature of work never stops changing. And there's this fear about what's going to happen all at once. Now, this number came from a study done by McKinsey, which is a big consulting firm. And the author of the story said, the dire predictions that robots are going to take our jobs are overstated. There will be enough jobs for everyone. How could that be? How do you destroy 73 million jobs with advanced automation and replace those jobs. Well, I want to go way back in American history when 97% of Americans who worked worked on the farm. And there was absolute hysteria in the United States in fear about what was going to happen to all these people with the new technologies, they didn't use the word technology then, but the new methods of farming, they were going to eliminate most of those jobs that were on the farm. What people see at the time is they only see loss. They don't see what replaces that loss. And all those people ended up doing new different things. Now, there are people who can't get excited about doing something new and different from what they were doing. And then change does train wreck your life. 
By the way, the study actually had a range, all the headline writers writing the big number, the range of jobs that will be destroyed is somewhere between 39 million and 73 million. But even 39 million, that might cause you to gasp. But they go on to say 20 million of those displaced workers very easily are going to be able to shift to jobs similar to what they were already doing that automation is not going to take. But a lot of people will need continuing education and training. And as you know, I have such a built-in bias about this. You know, we, we all have biases. We all have prejudices. We all have those things. And for me, into my core is this belief that we have to look at learning as a lifelong thing and not a short-term thing. And that the nature of work never does stop changing. Do you think anybody wishes the washing machine and the dryer had never been invented and we were still doing laundry on rocks like they do in third world countries in streams? No. How about what's coming next that I saw at CES two years running, and that's automated laundry systems that do the laundry for you. Because really it's a pain to put the stuff in the washer and then have to move it to the dryer and then have to fold things and all that. And now, uh, I guess you could call it robotics, are going to be available in the marketplace that will do all that for you. I don't see a problem with that. So, yeah, you're going to see more and more on the web with that horrific number. But know that we will be fine. Automation isn't an enemy. Robots are not an enemy. I mean, just think about this. Somebody's got to run the robot. Somebody's got to repair the robots. Somebody's got to maintain the robots. There are so many things like that. I think about an automobile manufacturing the number of people whose health was harmed and lives shortened in auto body paint shops as a vehicle would come down an assembly line and humans were painting the cars and how much health problems that caused and how uneven the paint jobs were being done by humans, no matter how skilled they were. And now these robots do the painting, eliminating the health hazard to humans And they paint a car flawlessly. Everybody wins from that. And do I say your name, Kishore? Is that the right way to say your name? Yeah, that's correct, Clark. How are you today? Very good. How can I be of service uh, to you? I was in in an accident on on Monday, and uh, my insurance company gave me two options to file a claim. Uh, either go with my insurance company, file a claim with them directly, use my deductible and my policy, and have them go after the other insurance company. Or option two is to wait until the police report is available and file with the other insurance company directly. I was not at fault, by the way. And are you sure the other driver had insurance? Uh, I am not sure. Now, that's one thing I did not do. I thought the, the, the officer was collecting all the information. It was a three-car accident. 
Well, you know, in the midst of the aftermath of an accident, we're a little shook up, mm-hmm. and we're just trying to make sure we're okay. And I should ask you, the, the drivers and passengers of all three cars, were all of you okay? Uh, one of the drivers was injured. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, she was taken to the hospital from the scene. Okay, and was that the driver who was at fault or no, the other no. the other innocent the, one? Okay. The other one, yeah, the innocent one. All right. My preference is that you wait until the insurance, the uh, police reports available, mm-hmm. and if the person has good valid insurance, you deal with it that way. And the reason is, is that I always worry about the process you're talking about, where you pay your deductible and your own insurer fixes things, because then your issue goes through a process known as subrogation. And that's where insurance companies, in a non-judicial way, work out who's going to pay what and who's responsible. And one of the dangers with subrogation is that they may decide, and they often do, they, they split the baby. And they say, okay, well, we believe Kishore was 10% responsible for this accident. So how do you feel about that? And then they say, okay, and they pay 90%. And you get stuck with 10%, but worse, then your insurer treats you as if you've had an at-fault accident. And they decided arbitrarily with the other insurer that you had partial responsibility for something that wasn't your responsibility at all. Subrogation always worries me. Okay. So that's why I like for you to wait until uh, the police department has the report available and as soon as you have that, you then should be able to contact the, if the other driver has valid insurance, contact their insurer. If they don't have insurance, then you are left with your own insurer. Okay. Yeah, the, the only thing that worries me with that option is uh, my insurance company said they'll step out once I file a claim with the other company. They won't be of any help. So I'm left with fighting with them on my own. Well, you're assuming that the other insurance company is going to misbehave. And they may be just fine to you. I mean, there's no gray about who was at fault, right? No, there's no gray, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, so I, would, I would go on the basis first, find out the facts if the other person has valid insurance, and then proceed. And if the other insurer stonewalls or is very difficult... Then you go back to your insurer and you do the claim through them. You have not foreclosed that possibility because you've already informed your insurer about what happened. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you very much, Clark. All right, and I'm glad you are okay. Kathy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Kathy. Hello, Clark. Thank you for taking my call. Certainly. How can I help you, Kathy? Um, well, I wanted to take this opportunity to thank you for all of the coverage of the Equifax breach earlier this summer because that certainly helped us out a lot to make sure we had everything taken care of like we should have. So I appreciate that. And how much hassle factor did you feel with the steps I have outlined for you? Um, we did it for my husband and I and our, our two uh, grown daughters one afternoon. We took care of all of it for all of us. So it was pretty simple. I'm so glad. That's great. And I was especially thinking about that with all of the online shopping, that it's nice to know that we have that protection now. So that was good. Um, But my question to you today 
kind of also is involved with all of that Thanksgiving Day shopping because I saw a news article that said Tuesday has become known as Travel Tuesday, the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. So I spent a good fair amount of time yesterday perusing the different websites, looking for all of these great travel deals that the news said were going to be out there, and I just didn't really see anything that pertained to me. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's the story of everybody's life. Okay. How did somebody else get an $8 fare to Kuala Lumpur, and I can't get a good fare to Chicago, right? That's exactly my frustration. Right. I didn't know if you knew of a great travel site that would track the couple of places that I would like to go with a wide travel range of dates and then notify me when that wonderful... Right, so with the the alerts, uh, I want to give you different approaches. The best deals go to people who buy a deal and then figure out why they want to go where that deal is. (laughs) You think I'm kidding. I'm not. I've I've been the whole world, but I want to do something else. All right. Kim has been with me for 19 years. Yep. And where have we gone over those 19 years on our winter meeting trips? Oh, my gosh. I have a list that I should be looking at. But off the top of my head, we have been to Australia, Thailand, Italy, Switzerland. We have been to the Bahamas. We have been to Shanghai. And I'm forgetting like 30 others. Uh, Go ahead, Joel. Pick up some. Dubai, Hawaii. uh, Yeah, Italy. Kim said Italy. A bunch of, I mean, so many awesome places. England. South Africa. uh, Holland. Yeah, South Africa. That's right. I went to Prague before my time. Spain. Hungary. We did a trip to Hungary. So what we do is I take my crew on a reward trip each year, and we pick out kind of a general calendar time, and then we go wherever a deal pops up. And we've been to the whole world, every continent but Antarctica. Okay. So any great insight on how to find that deal? Yes, there's a, there's a couple of sites that now look for those incredible bargains. My favorite is scottscheapflights.com. Okay. It's uh, owned by a guy named Scott Kyes, really nice guy, and he does this thing where he has a free newsletter and then a premium newsletter where he alerts you to phenomenal deals as they occur. Perfect. And so you got to see ones that apply to you, and you're like, well, I never thought about going to, where exactly is that on a map anyway? And fill in the blank. (laughs) But if you have a specific city or two that you need to go to to see family or whatever, go to google.com slash flights or kayak.com slash explore or just kayak.com, and you can look and see what's going on. You can use a flexible dates calendar. And with Kayak, you can very easily set up an alert where they'll let you know when a deal pops up to that destination. Okay. But the best deals of all go to people who will just say, hey, I never thought about going there. And you go. I mean, I did Hawaii from the East Coast once for 177 round trip, another time 196, just because it went on sale. And I love Hawaii. 
It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at Clark.com. Joel, asks it for you. Yeah, Clark. Elizabeth wrote in. She said, I've got about 10 credit cards that all at one time had a balance. I've now paid them in full, and I only use one card to charge, and I pay it off every month. Would it hurt my credit score to close? Wait, the, wait, wait. Before you go on with the question, yeah. that is fantastic Right. that you were drowning in debt, 10 different cards charged up. Now you paid it all off. Wonderful. Celebration time. Yeah. Yeah. So now Elizabeth wants to know, is it going to hurt her credit score if she closes some of those accounts? Elizabeth, don't snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. You got the the absolute prize for everything you did. Leave the accounts open. Just let them go stale over time. It keeps their uh, credit limits in your credit mix and gives you an extremely high credit score. Unless somebody has an annual fee, there's no reason to close it. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website. You can follow me at Facebook.com slash Clark Howard. So here we are with so much of the Shoparama underway. And I told you recently about the problems with getting packages delivered right now for e-commerce sites. And Michael, uh, our crew at Clark.com, has something that you want to share with people if you are an Amazon shopper, that Amazon accounts for roughly, I think, uh, 41% of online retail. What's going on with Amazon with the two-day delivery guarantee? Uh, yeah, Clark. Hey, uh, well... What I really just want to tell people is something they may not know as a Prime member is that you may be able to get a one-month extension on your Prime membership if your package happens to show up late after that two days. And that has been happening uh, with increasing frequency, and that's not Amazon's fault. Uh, Package delivery services are overwhelmed, and they're not meeting the two-day delivery a lot of times. That's true. And uh, this isn't going to happen automatically. What customers need to do if their package is late is they need to contact Amazon. And what I did is I just went to Amazon's contact page on their website. Wait, 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 wait. You, as cheap as you are, you spent $100 to be an Amazon Prime member? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I can't picture that because you're so much more thrifty than I am. It's my first year on Prime. I'll have to say like, I think it's been worth it for me, though. Yeah. Okay, so you contact them when something. Yeah, you late. go to the website, and what they do is they give you an option uh, to call them, email, or live chat. So I picked up the phone, tried to figure out where my package was. They were super nice, apologized about it, and said they'd stay on top of it. The next morning, I get an email. They're still working to find out what's going on with this package. So then I just replied back and said that I've heard from other people that Sometimes Amazon will try to make it up to you and they'll provide something. So I said, is there anything you can do for me? A few minutes later, they write back and I have an extra one month of Prime just by asking. Yeah, so I had a different situation. I had a, an item that we ordered that was a two-day delivery that came in two weeks. It took 14 days to show up. In the meantime, it was lost in space and... What Amazon did was they reshipped the item, and it came next day after I contacted them. And then when the original item came in two weeks late, 
or it was actually 12 days late, I called and they said, oh, just keep that with our compliments. It's our fault. So uh, Amazon is generally very accommodating. The one-month additional of Prime, that stretched your $99 to 13 months instead of 12. Absolutely. Great customer service. So the best thing for you to do, though, since you're so thrifty, go back to college. Then you get Amazon Prime for $49 a year. All right, I'll think about no that. No more part. college <laughs> right. for you, huh? <laughs> no. All right, so on the thing about shopping, the thing that people get burned up about a lot is something that they buy then goes down in price later. Sometimes you know that, sometimes you don't. Well, there's now a service you can use called Paribus, and you may or may not have heard of this, P-A-R-I-B-U-S. It's not .com. It's Paribus.co. But Paribus for, uh, let's see how many retails, 4, 8, 12, 16, 20, 24, 26, 28 different, uh, mostly major retailers, automates the process by checking if an item you have bought goes down in price later. They go through automatically getting the money back for you. Or if it's a retailer, they can't automatically do it, alert you to that to get you back the money, the difference between what you paid and what an item later went for sale for. So lots of ways, lots of strategies to help you stretch every dollar or stretch your Amazon Prime membership. Joe joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Joe. Yes, good day, Howard. Uh, We're here. Uh, I have a question on on Equifax, uh, the breach on Equifax. I haven't seen anything on the uh, actual stolen identity. Is there a damage report or something on that? So uh, you mean if, with the information stolen, what's actually happened? Anybody who has had information stolen or, or any identity theft stolen, is it? Where's the break? Okay, so what happened, you know, the criminals got deep, deep data on you. They got your social security number, name, address, prior addresses, date of birth. Um, In some cases, they have people's driver's license numbers. In others, they have credit card number and numbers of people. So we know that for 145.5 million people, that information's out there. So the, the thievery happened. So then the question comes... If I'm a criminal, Joe, I can't get into the information of 145 million people all at once. So what will happen is over years to come, the criminals will use the information stolen from Equifax to cause havoc in different people's lives. It's roughly somewhere right around two-thirds of American adults with credit files. Can I uh, I'm about 80 years old, and I don't owe anything. I haven't had a debt for 20 years. Uh, would Equifax even have my information? They may not have a file on you. You know, what happens is if somebody doesn't have any credit for an extended period of time, their file goes um, what they call thin or no. And so a, a thin file would have so little useful information and would have no credit score that would be worth it for criminals to apply for credit as if they're you, or your file could actually have even gone invisible 
Would a credit card include that be included? Yeah, if you have a credit card, then you would have a credit file. Okay. That would be the break. That's the only break that I would have would be a credit card. Yeah, so that would be, that is an active extension of credit, and that would keep your credit file active, even though you maybe haven't had a mortgage or car loan or anything like that in 20 years, you would still have a very active credit file. Oh, okay. Well, uh, is there anywhere I could find a damage report of how much has been caused by this? No, there is no central record. In fact, one of the things that that legal experts think is going to help Equifax in all the lawsuits is that there's no way to prove definitively that this massive uptick in identity problems going on in the country is specifically because of Equifax. You know, it's obvious that it's because of Equifax, but in court, you have to do more than obvious. You have to prove it, and that is really, really difficult, and I wish the lawyers good luck pinning this on Equifax, the various lawsuits that have been filed. One of real interest to me, though, is that the smaller banks in the United States, their trade association has just filed a suit against Equifax because the smaller banks have suffered real, clear, and measurable harm because of Equifax's negligence. And so they have a much clearer case to seek money and damages from Equifax than typically you and I do as individuals. James joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, James. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, James. You have a question about your kids for me, don't you? Yes, I do. Uh, Listen, we've got seven kids, and my wife and I were discussing our, you know, how to distribute our assets when we are no longer here. And, you know, these kids, they don't get along. We have three kids that have Class A personalities. A couple of the kids care, you know, less about things. And so, we're, you know, we want to put some a neutral third party in charge of distributing our assets when we're no longer around. And we just, we're kind of scratching our heads trying to figure that. I'm sure this is something that happens a lot with other people. Oh, yeah. You know, they say when somebody dies, you see the best in people and the worst in people. Yeah, we've seen it. So I, I'm seen sorry you've seen, people. I'm sorry you're worried about uh, some of the worst. So uh, let's talk about the seven kids. Yeah. There's not one of them that the other six just think, hey, that's really a cool person. Clark, I doubt it. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, I, I just, we, we have one of the class A, our oldest son, the class A personality. We have him tentatively as executor of our estate, but my wife and I just don't really want to do that. We don't want to tear our family apart, which could potentially happen. Uh, we just want a neutral third party to say, okay, here are the assets. Here you go. We've already figured out the percentage that each of our children get. So we just need to figure out how to execute that in a neutral third part with a neutral yeah, third so party. Yeah, so the way you do that, is there um, a brother or sister or niece or nephew who you trust and uh, has no issues with any of the seven of your children? Mm. Well, I don't know. We hadn't given that thought. We wanted to keep it away from all family members. You know, that, that gets a little 
messy because unless you've got so much money that the expenses aren't going to matter, usually Mm -hmm. when you go third party, normally you would have a lawyer act as executor. And we're willing, we're okay with that idea. I mean, I know they have to take their percentage from the estate. And I mean, and along says that's something ridiculous. So, you know, we just want somebody. That would be who, who you'd want. You oh, would okay. want a lawyer right. who does wills, estates, and trusts. Perfect. And you have that lawyer be the executor if they're willing to take on that responsibility. And you want from them clearly what the fee is they're going to charge to handle exactly. that work for you. Exactly, the, and that's perfect, yes. The other possibility so of a yeah. third party is mm-hmm. having a CPA do it. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay, that sounds real good. You have a CPA who you know and trust and have yeah. lunch? Yeah, we do. We do, and so hopefully the CPA won't retire or pass away before we do. Uh, so, yeah. We'll go right. that way with an attorney. Yeah. But James, I got another question for you. Very key. Yeah. All yeah. right. Uh, you say the kids don't necessarily get along. Right. Is it contentious enough that if somebody is sore about how you have planned to divide things up, that they might start fighting over what you've said in the will? <sighs> yes. I. You know. I, I. You know. I don't know if it would get to that point. I don't think they're, you know, what we're trying to avoid here is having the attorneys take all the money away if there's some sort of contention right. between these kids. All yeah. Right. So that brings up a completely different possibility. And mm-hmm. this is why consulting with a lawyer who does wills, estates, and trusts would be really mm-hmm. important, is yeah. that when there's the meaningful possibility that the heirs to an estate would fight, yeah. often what people will do is they will do trusts instead of uh, where things are held in trusts because trusts are harder generally to challenge than items that are dispersed by the instructions of a will like an an irrevocable trust that kind of well it can be well there's a variety of trusts depending on the circumstance what would be appropriate and that's where dealing with a lawyer who does wills estates and trusts would be okay. so worth your time. It's expensive to set those up, and it's expensive yeah. to properly maintain them over the years. But if you're yeah. looking into the future and you see a lot of sore feelings and unhappiness and bickering, yeah. then the possibility of doing trusts would become a good alternative. Can I ask you in general terms how much the value of your estate might be? Uh we're figuring about five hundred thousand. At that kind like of that. money, at that kind of money, I don't recommend generally doing trusts because okay. of the cost in setting those up. Yeah. So I think you take a chance a little that the seven would get into a bicarama. Magnificent seven. Okay, Clark. We'll see if we can soothe their ruffled feathers. And and just saying. If, if they are this prone to being unhappy with each other, if there's some charity you really love, maybe you give the money to a charity instead <laughs> of to your kids. Hey, sounds good. I'll let my wife know what you told me. I Really, I think that's, I mean, if, if kids are going to be unappreciative enough from your hard work and the assets you've accumulated that they want to 
get into a real to-do with each other. Maybe instead there are causes that you love, that you really care about, that you can use that half a million dollars to serve those charitable causes as an alternative. Just saying. Judy joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Judy. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Judy. I'm supposed to be jealous of you, apparently, because you have a higher credit score than I do. Oh, I don't know about that. How high is your credit score, Judy? 813. Uh Uh-oh, I got you beat by six points. Oh, boy. That's still fantastic. (laughs) That makes us both what they call golden in the business. Good job. So that means you. you pay every bill, every month, as far back as anybody can go on time. You have very low what's called uh, utilization, which means you use a very small percent of the credit you have available to you. And basically, right. you're a rock star with credit. <laughs> Thank you. So how can I be of service? Well, I keep getting emails from online uh, monitoring credit monitoring companies wanting to suggest that I get more credit cards to show a better ratio, but I feel like my credit score is adequate. Uh, No, your credit score is so far past adequate that you're just fine. How many credit cards do you have? Three. Three is just fine. Okay. And especially since you have, uh, sounds like you have credit utilization of below 10%. Yes. And if you keep your credit utilization utilization below 10%, you don't need to do anything else other than what you're already doing. The only okay. thing I would consider, you're obviously a net payer. You, you charge on your cards and then you pay the balance in full. Yeah. So I hope you have a reward card that's very rewarding to you. Yes, I get 1% on purchase and 1% when I pay. So the Citibank uh, double cash or whatever it's called? Yeah. Yes. That's one of the best cards out there. So you're doing everything just right and ignore those solicitations you get. Awesome. Thank you so much. Sure. Have a great day and just a little more work. You'll get six more points and pass me by. You're listening to the Clark Howard Show. Thanks for tuning into the Clark Howard Show today. And if you're like me, you like deals. We got our deal diggers hard at work at ClarkDeals.com that help you save money day in and day out. We work around the clock to find the best deals for your wallet, and they're on a variety of consumer items. Check out ClarkDeals.com.